and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 124 and today's episode, Resilience is What Matters. I want to dig deep into this concept of resilience and why as parents it really is the gold standard for what we should be striving for our children and it's something we can be totally impactful on without interfering in our children's lives or being pushy parents. Trust me they will totally thank you for it later. Why does resilience matter? Now when we think of our role as parents and this concept of being scaffolding for our children's rising building we might instinctively believe for our children's home to rise strong We need to ensure our children have a good education, make lots of friends, have a hobby, which will obviously distinguish them from everyone else when they apply for future jobs and university. They should then go to university and then be happy and confident. Now, whilst all of these are very reasonable attributes for us to strive for for our children, they will not necessarily predict our children's ability to flourish as an adult. We know that the world of work and everyday life is all about being able to successfully negotiate challenges, disappointments, difficult conversations, big emotions, people, aspirations and goals, which a bunch of exam grades and a university degree are simply not going to provide. They're not going to provide those things for our children on their own. Now, please do not get me wrong. I am not anti-education. I'm a realist. I believe as parents, we totally get blindsided by this concept of the results and how our children perform against their peers. And we totally lose sight of the bigger picture, the end goal, which is raising adults who lead enriched functional lives, who feel able to face life's challenges and feel that they are reasonably equipped to have a go. Notice how I did not use happiness, you know, this idea about our children being happy. It's deliberate, but that's a whole other podcast episode. So I really want us to be thinking about this. Now, just even go back to those days when you were at school. Now, I don't know about you, I as I suspect all of us do, there's a natural comparison. We compare ourselves to our peers. So if when you think back to when you were at school, and I want you to think particularly when you were at secondary or senior school. It was all about exams and how well you performed and how you did. You would have been very aware of those that were deemed super sporty, those that were deemed super academic. And of course, because that's the only benchmark that we've got at that age about how we are in the world compared to others, we would have compared ourselves on those metrics. Maybe popularity as well and beautiful, strong, whatever those metrics were particularly. At that time, because that is your whole world, you have this notion that when you then leave school and you go out into the wider world, that those that would top of the rung academically would be the ones that were the most successful. And if you think about that across the course of your entire life, when you reflect back as an adult, I certainly can reflect back um, when I was at school. Now I went to an all-girls grammar school and I can think very specifically about the girls that were at the top end and imagining them to be the most successful. The reality is at 54, looking back and having had several reunions, those that were the top of the rung at school are not those that are at the top of the rung in terms of life. 
Now, that isn't something to kind of be like rubbing your hands and thinking, yes, they got their comeuppance. It's nothing to do with that. It's the simple reality that actually when we're measuring those metrics within an education system, they don't necessarily transfer into life. And again, a lot of it depends on what you want to measure as success. But for me, as I'm sure is the case for so many of you, it is about having children that can function adequately, that can pick themselves up when things go wrong, because life is not this lovely, smooth road. It is full of bumps. It is full of potholes. It is full of ditches, unexpected hurricanes, unexpected downfalls, unexpected you know, diversions and closures of lanes. And the only way you can navigate that is through resilience. Now, obviously, resilience has many forms, the ability to pick yourself up, bounce back from setbacks, and resilience can be demonstrated in academics. But it isn't the only place that it is demonstrated. And I think what I'm really trying to encourage you to do in this episode is to go beyond that, take a step back and actually look at what are the things that I can do in terms of foundations for my children to create opportunities for them to build and flex and strengthen that resilience muscle. So that's really what I want us to be thinking about. For me, you know, when we look at this notion of success later in life, resilience is the single attribute which encompasses all of these abilities. And when I talk about resilience, I mean the ability to withstand or recover reasonably quickly from difficulties, the ability to remain flexible and adaptable to life's changes and bounce back from adversity. A resilient person still experiences the exact same stress and big emotions of someone who's less resilient. They simply respond to it differently than someone who isn't resilient. What sort of really distinguishes a resilient individual is firstly just their simply their ability to accept that the situation that they find themselves in and then they dig deep into themselves and adapt their skills and knowledge to the situation on that basis of you know cliched empowered to believe that they can affect change the difference with somebody who is not resilient is that they tend to play the blame game or wallow for a long period of time in the why me it's not fair a resilient person may still do that but they bounce back quite quickly someone who is not resilient tends to stay in that sort of basis and also believe that you know they have this they don't have this concept of believing that they can affect change that they can make an impact that they can make a difference it's very much this idea that things are happening to them rather than the resilient person that says, okay, well, this is the situation I find myself in, but I know I've got skills within myself and I'm adaptable enough to find a way. So what makes a resilient person? Well, I like the way that Dr. Ginsberg refers to resilience as having seven C's. So the seven C's of resilience, which I will cover, are competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. Now, before we talk specifically about how our children can develop these seven C's, I just want to talk about two crucial themes which run through all of these. And you know, quite often I'll talk about, you know, this is about setting the, the framework and the foundations. Because we can if we work on the seven C's, but we haven't considered these two points that I'm going to cover now, the ability to raise resilient children who then become resilient adults, you know, we're doing it on slightly shaky ground. 
So the first one is our expectations determine our children's resilience. So our children will either live up to or live down to the expectations we set for them. Yeah. And it's really crucial. But just just kind of bear with me for a minute with this one. However, they will only ever fulfill these higher expectations if we demonstrate unconditional belief in their character, in their competence, in their ability to be you know, compassionate and creative in their approach. It, we'll talk about these a little bit more when we look at the seven C's, but it's this, this feeling. So sometimes when we're trying to kind of develop that resilience in our children and maybe take the step back, we'll look at that when we talk about control. If fundamentally at our core, we really don't believe that our child has the skills to do this, we don't think that they've got the, you know, that they can really dig deep, then that will come out in things that we say and the way that we behave in really subtle kind of things that we do. We might be sort of, you know, intellectually saying to ourselves, no, I understand this. I know I need to do this. I'm going to step back. I'm going to really encourage my child to feel that they've got in control, that they're in control. But if we still sort of have that nagging feeling, oh gosh, they can't. What then happens is we maybe overcompensate in some of the words that we use and the language that we use, constantly looking for reassurance from them. So We've got to work on that. So, you know, I'll talk you through the seven C's, but there's got to be a bit of a reflective piece in yourself to sort of think about, well, how am I going to kind of create the the kind of the soil, the fertile ground in order for these seven C's to really be able to develop? And part of that is what do I need to do for myself? If, If at my core, I believe that my child isn't resilient. What do I need to do to begin to foster that belief so that they can then feel that belief too? Is that kind of, it goes back to some of the emotional contagion that we've talked about before. So the first one is our expectations. If we hold that expectation in a loving and compassionate way that our children have the tools, the character, the creativity within themselves with a bit of support and fostering to be able to manage these difficulties then they're much more likely to. And the second one, as you would expect from me, is we get back exactly what we model. If we want our children to develop healthy, adaptive strategies, both in the good times and in the not so good, both in success, but also in failure, then we have to model it. We are the reference point for our children when it comes to resilience. So what are we modeling? What are we doing about being adaptive and creative and compassionate and, you know, coping and control and competence that we also want our children to demonstrate? So they're more likely to do what they see than what we say. So we need to walk the talk if we want our children to do the same. Talk is cheap and simply does not get the desired results. Okay, so we've got to be on that lookout and be aware. Lecture over. All right, so that that's the kind of the context. So let's get into these seven C's. What are they? So remember, we've talked about competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. I don't want to kind of like overwhelm you. So I think in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about each of them. But over the coming weeks, we'll then take some of these individually and really look at them in a bit more depth. But It's just important that we understand what they are. So competence is about this reality is that children learn through their own 
experience and what is modeled to them. So competence is about the ability to do something, but we it can't be acquired theoretically, nor when we sort of lecture to our children about our demonstration of competence or how they could demonstrate competence. Competence comes from doing. So by doing, children learn how to make their own decisions and trust their judgment, regardless of whether those judgments and those decisions that they make lead to success or failure. So we hamper, we get in the way of competence when we step into fix and we do not allow our children to bounce back after failure. And it's a difficult one because I've often talked about this notion that I'm a reformed control enthusiast. You know, it's so easy for us to step into fix, to offer solutions to our children. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't make suggestions But we really should only be making those suggestions in the context of them asking us and in the wider context of having a conversation around problem solving. So we have to kind of be sort of front of mind this notion that our children's competence, their ability is really only going to develop and therefore their confidence, which we'll talk about next. But that competence is only going to happen through doing. And what we need to remember with resilience is they can demonstrate resilience across a multi, across every aspect of their life. It does not have to be related to school, academic success, athletic success, musical success, creative success. Of course, they can demonstrate it in those. But every single day, almost at every moment through our children's day, there are opportunities for them to demonstrate competence, to, to become more competent in something as simple as making their bed. That's something that can demonstrate competence. Let's face it, if you've got uh, duvets and children have got to learn how to put a duvet in a duvet cover, that's a real amazing demonstration of resilience, even as an adult. You know, if you think, my husband finds it really difficult to put a big duvet into a duvet cover. I just, I just have very, very vivid and very fond memories of my mother showing me how to make a bed and folding sheets together and duvet covers and blankets together and doing the whole kind of passing it on to each other. I'm just trying to kind of get you to be a bit more creative when you think about resilience and how we can help our children foster that competence. It can be in the most minutiae. It can be in making the bed, in chopping vegetables, in putting on, you know, learning how to tie a shoelace, riding a bike. We sometimes kind of lose sight of these everyday opportunities that we have because we get so caught up in sort of boosting confidence and feeling that that confidence has to come directly from the area that they're finding challenging. Now, what I will say, and we'll talk about confidence in a minute, but of course, there will be some children who won't necessarily be able to see that the resilience that they show, let's say in kicking up a football a hundred times in the garden to try and get a goal is the same level of resilience and determination that can be transferred to algebra when they're struggling with it or another aspect of their academics some some children really struggle to see that transferability but it's really important that we keep going at the resilience in the other areas whilst also unpicking why it might not be transferring to their algebra so there might be a belief system around the maths that we need to work on that isn't a block in the football So it's just 
You know, it's being aware that if we just focus on lots of things and not necessarily the direct area that we think we're trying to build their resilience in, it does come. It's almost like a sort of like a tipping point when it sort of just tips from that not feeling very resilient in one particular area, but building it in multiple areas. And then that suddenly starts to sort of spill over into that. So the first C is competence. The second C is confidence. Children's confidence grows by tackling new challenges on their own, thinking creatively for themselves and learning to cope when they encounter setbacks. And we hamper, we get in the way of their confidence when we tell our children what they should and should not do, what they should try and what they shouldn't try. Again, it's us stepping in. Now, of course, if you've got a child, if you're listening to this and you've got a child or a teen who isn't incredibly confident, who doesn't want to tackle new challenges, who doesn't think creatively, who isn't able to cope, who's constantly looking to you to give them the answers and the solutions, then obviously that's, it doesn't mean that you can't work on them, doesn't mean that that child isn't going to be resilient. It's about setting realistic expectations for us, not necessarily the child. It's anchoring in the belief that our child will be able to be resilient, having unwavering faith that when we've put the things in place, when we've helped and support them, and we've kind of created that nurturing environment, that they will get there, and then managing our expectations around how long it will take them to get there. And working on small steps, small wins, little wins, every opportunity that we can have within every day, let's look for opportunities where our children can demonstrate competence and that will then build their confidence across a multitude of things. It's not just confidence in the area that your child is not feeling confident in. And if you've got a child who's supremely confident in one area, that's amazing. Let's look for opportunities to build confidence in other areas because that's where they'll grow and develop and their confidence will build as their competence increases. So competence is the first, confidence is the second. The third is connection, and you might not necessarily see this as an important aspect to resilience, but a secure platform, you know, it goes back to these foundations on which our children's building rises, but a secure platform which allows children to stand on their own two feet is developed and nurtured by connections, not only within our family, within our our immediate family and our home, but also beyond that. So those connections may include school, activities that our children do either at school or beyond, our local community, if we're part of religious groups. So it's just thinking about that connection is such a crucial part. And I do think, I'm not going to kind of get into religion, because obviously that is way, way beyond the scope and isn't necessarily something that's relevant to raising children per se however what I will say I can't remember the book that I was reading this in but it really made me sit back and reflect is that what religion has typically given us and I'm not not advocating anything here I'm not preaching to anyone but I just want us to think about the positive aspects of what a religion what religion necessarily gives you is that it gives you a, a connection and a community and a belief in a common there's a kind of common belief there and this notion of everyone working together to uh, collectively which I think is something that is really missing in the way that we raise our children nowadays so it's not that I'm saying go off and follow a religion it isn't what it's about but 
Raising children has become much more insular. We tend to raise our children in these smaller units within our family in our family home that is often a huge distance away from our extended family and that and so we don't always have this community this collective this sort of unwavering reliance and interdependent with other people who share the same belief systems that we do and that's why you're you're noticing probably a theme recurring a lot now in in terms of my podcast episodes and in the newsletter and a lot of things that I talk about is this you know it does take a village to raise a child and that village goes beyond us into our schools, into our communities, into our neighbours, into our activities, into mentoring. You know, I'm a mother to two adult children, but I know that I have an impact on other children just in terms of nieces, nephews, cousins, all of those aspects, and also the children I come into contact with in a school. You know, I mentor them. I may not mentor them directly because I may not necessarily work with them and their family but I have an impact on their lives in the things that I do the things that I say and how I model and I do think we need to be a bit more conscious about that connection now some of some of you listening to this will have a phenomenal network of connection you'll have maybe you know the the parents that you made friends with in antenatal you'll have a great community within the school or maybe in your you live in a village or in a street where there's real connection and there's there's that wider community and family if you are if you are not then i really would sort of encourage you to think about how might you broaden that because actually it's not only incredible for us as adults because i also think parenting can feel very lonely and difficult and the more honest and open we can be with people I genuinely think it just lightens the load but it's also really crucial for our children that's part of what will build their resilience you know connection is hampered when what our children see modeled to them is limited to connection to only a few adults our children need to see that modeling across a whole host of adults and they need to see that connection is broad it isn't what can often happen if we've got children who are struggling with friendships is that their world has become very small around connections maybe only in school and we want them to see and build that competence and that confidence across multiple scenarios and multiple situations so seven c's so far are competence confidence connection the fourth one is character and we talk about this when we talk about the building and our the foundations and our children's building rises. So values which underpin a clear sense of what is right and what is wrong guide our children to make decisions which are consistent with those values. So it's about those foundations that we set, the daily things that we do around what our family values, what's important to our to our family. And how we model that. Now, obviously, as our children then encounter, grow up and encounter different things, those value, the value system will change. And what we talk about within that value system will expand because suddenly our children are exposed to more things that we kind of need to talk about in terms of those values. But it's really important that we kind of, that's part of how our children develop their character is about making decisions that are consistent with the values that they have and particularly when we're trying to help them navigate those difficult challenging teen and young adult years where external influences from peers and that pressure has a huge impact and really kind of 
pressures at the envelope of them making decisions that are consistent with their values or against those values. And what hampers character is when we model inconsistent applications of the values we teach our children. That's been a classic one that I've you know, been inconsistent with in the past with how I, you know, this value of communication and connection. And then I've been on my mobile phone, and as my children say, checking my work emails. That's an inconsistent modeling and an application of a value of connection. So it's thinking about what are the values that we are really trying to instill in our children within our family home? And where do we apply that? And where do we model that inconsistently? And where can we begin to kind of reel that one back in and be a bit more consistent with that? So that's character. The next one is contribution. Children who see, observe and learn that their contribution is valued and positively impacts others are much more likely to find purpose in their action. Yeah, so they understand their community and that community can be the community within your family unit, community can be within their classroom, community can be their road or their street, or the community can be the village or the community of an activity. But the more they understand and see that their community is a better place because they're in it, they're part of it, the more that then builds on their character, their connection, their confidence and their competence. So when we're talking about contribution, let's start with our home and our immediate family. How does our child see and learn and understand that what they do, their contribution within our family is valued? And then we can start rippling that out because that builds so much of their character, it builds so much of their connections, so much of their confidence and their competence. So contribution is hampered when we find fault with our children's efforts or we tell them that they need to contribute more. So it's just shifting that emphasis on what do, what do my children contribute to already in the home and how am I demonstrating that that is positively valued? And it might be that your child, com, com, their contribution is about lightening the mood, bringing fun, bringing creativity into the home. Let's celebrate that. So it's just thinking through, let's start with the home before we then look at impacting wider and then you know really being able to kind of be conscious and active in finding and positively affirming those. So that's contribution, coping. Children who have learnt healthy ways to manage stress and bounce back from challenges in a self-regulatory way are safeguarded much more, you know, unhealthy, self-soothing, quick fixes. And we know what these are. Yeah. So this idea of when we talk about self-regulatory, we, when we talk about a child who struggles to manage big emotions, who might throw tantrums, throw things, say unkind things, they're, dysregu- they're emotionally dysregulated because what's happened is they're experiencing a big emotion, which we want them to experience. We don't want to take that away from them. But what self-regulation is, is being able to understand your feelings, experience those feelings, know that they are transitory, they come and go, depending, some will come and go quickly, some will stay with us for quite a while, but we've then found adaptive, healthy, appropriate ways to work through those emotions. What is unhealthy are what these self-soothing quick fixes. We might foster those um, unhelpful self-soothing quick fixes by fixing things for our children by by giving them treats distracting them 
They might do it through eating too much, so self-soothing mechanisms through food, might be through distraction in terms of basically just not dealing with their emotions and just being on mobile devices or technology. It might be about projecting it onto someone else. It might be about excess something. It might be about control. It's really just thinking through coping. How are our children finding ways to cope with those big emotions? Because Being able to bounce back is about being able to understand that the situation that you're in is going to be temporary, that the feelings that you have which are associated with that situation are likely to also be transitory. You have some, you're empowered, you've got some aspect of control in that. Some people wouldn't necessarily make that connection between how our children manage manage their emotions is absolutely 100% connected to their ability to be resilient and to bounce back. And the idea is coping is hampered. Our children's ability to cope and their development of coping strategies is hampered when we model our own maladaptive coping strategies or we fail to allow our children to fully experience those big emotions. So we try and kind of like, oh, you mustn't worry about that. Oh, don't get so upset or let's do this. And we try to distract them or they see us getting super stressed and then drinking too much, eating too much, distracting ourselves, not dealing with things, being controlling. So we've got to think about how are our children coping and how are we modelling this self-regulatory coping? And the last one is control. So children develop an internal locus of control, and I'll talk you through what that means in a moment, when they understand that their choices and actions determine their outcome. Regardless of whether the result is success or failure, we hamper it when we rush in to fix or we blame external factors for our child's result. Internal and external locus control is a psychological concept that came up with a psychologist called Rotter who talked about this idea that if you're an internal locus of control person you are someone who basically believed that whatever happens is a result of your actions. So if you've done well in an exam it's because you revised a lot. If you don't do well in an exam it's because you didn't revise enough. An external locus of control will see a They did well in an exam because they were just lucky. The questions just came up their way. And if they do badly in the exam, it's because um, they hadn't slept the night before or the exam question that they had revised for didn't come up and it was a really difficult paper. Now, there are some people who are naturally a bit more internal locus of control and they, you know, have that ability to then, they've already got that advantage in lots of ways of feeling that they can, be, they're empowered and control, and able to control outcomes. But it comes through practice. You know, it's this idea of helping our children see that the choices they make, even at the most basic level, when our children experience a big emotion, quite often parents will say to me, and children will tell, will tell me directly, is that they feel overwhelmed with the big emotion and that they feel that they've got no control. It's like something takes over them and then acts out or plays out whatever this big emotion does. Now, that's an external locus of control because it's this idea that I can't control my shouting, hitting, being angry, saying unkind things, throwing things. It's the emotion that's doing it. So that's an external. It's not about me. It's about this external. An internal locus of control will see it. There'll be a subtle difference of I find myself doing this. I know I can change the way that I'm reacting. I just don't know how. Now, obviously, children are not going to use either of that kind of language they're not going to articulate that but that's the difference someone with an internal locus of control will see that the change is all coming from within and that's fundamentally what we want when we talk about confidence 
And I've talked about it so many times. Confidence is an internal job. We cannot praise, stroke, validate our children into being confident. It has to come from within. And that's exactly the same within control. So we have to foster and create opportunities and then encourage our children to make those steps and then help them think afterwards if they've made a choice or blamed it on external factors. What might you do differently? You know, what you've learned from the situation, what might you do differently? How might it play out? My give this week is going to be these seven C's listed with some gaps underneath so that you can really start thinking about which is the one. You're not going to be able to tackle all of these immediately and I would not recommend that you do so. But take one and take the one that you think is probably, I mean, in an ideal world, I'd I'd ask you to take the one that you think would be the most impactful. But for ease, I think it's probably better to take the one that you feel that you can hit the ground running with as quickly as possible. One that you know is something that you're maybe either weren't aware of or you know it's something that you need to work on and you know exactly what you need to do. To take that one, because let's start with something that's easy for us to start with. Take that one and work on that, but have the others as your reference point to come back to. And also praise yourself for the C's that you are already doing. You might need to tweak them. Maybe you're doing them five times out of 10, but you're doing them. So praise yourself congratulate for that yourself for that but look at how you might be able to tweak that so you all you need to do is head over to my free resource library drmaryhan.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download the resource all you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource but all the other free resources across all my other podcast episodes as ever You know what I'm going to say, but I really want you to act on it today. Please, please, if you have enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy the podcast, if you have gleaned anything from the podcast, I would be so appreciative if you could follow this podcast, because that means you'll automatically be sent the next episode automatically to your device. But if you could rate and review this podcast so others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. 